0: No is necessary. Void where by law. plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the writer and director for Swan Song, Benjamin Cleary. I
1: still can't believe it. I'm going to fall in love with a new little person again.
2: <laughs> Just breathe. I'm going to count you down from three. And on three two and one Three. I can't lie to my family anymore the second you tell your wife that you are dying your opportunity to do this is gone you want to go say hi Even the memories you store deep in your subconscious. Do this with us and let life go on for your family. A clean swap. What's
0: going on, Cam? Can't
2: figure out what the right thing is
0: here. I you. Thought I had more time, I guess. You
2: have an opportunity here. I'm not done. I didn't say he could. You're dying.
0: I feel like I've fallen in love with her for the first time again. You don't like this. You
2: think I like this? Being told I'm not me because you're not me. You are
1: not me.
3: Benjamin, thank you so much for joining me on the heels of your world premiere of your feature debut film, *Swan Song* at
1: the AFI Film Festival. Thanks so much, Matt. Great to meet you and appreciate you doing this. Thanks a lot. Yeah,
3: no, completely. I you know, was following the awards race uh, when you won the uh, Oscar for uh, Best Short for Stutterer. And it's been a couple of years uh, since that win uh, that it's led to now this feature. I'm curious to know, um, when you win an Oscar, are people banging on the door immediately? Uh, like, what was ultimately, like, the process like in terms of getting a, this project off the ground? Because, uh, you know, it's it was like a five,
1: six year gap there. And we were just curious to know... Uh, you know what took so long? <laughs> yeah, I mean, having the the complete surprise of how well my my short uh, stutterer did, um, going from not even knowing if we were going to get into a festival to a winning, uh, you know, an Academy Award was crazy. Yeah. but it totally does. It opens up doors, right? You get into um, you get into the the sorts of conversations you want about what your next steps are going to be uh it quite quickly uh you know the the opportunity to make swan song uh was the one that what myself and my team felt was the the one to go for it's a really it's a really personal story you know it comes from um i lost uh, some people close to me when i was 19 20 21. and you know when a um young person is here one day and then not the next um it's just devastating no goodbye and you see the ripples of grief spread out with everyone who's kind of left behind and ultimately I think that left me at that young age sort of going through life constantly thinking about what would happen if someone I loved you know passed away what would happen to my family if something happened to me I kind of Got into this mode of thinking about it all the time and i think then you know the idea for swan song the imagined premise the slightly near future premise came up and i knew it was going to be a painful thing to make but that i really wanted to make it so when i got the chance to start talking about what the first feature would be um i was scared by it but i was excited by it and we decided to uh to make that the the movie so it's it's been five years since i first put pen to paper to um to to start writing it to hear.
3: Yeah, I was really struck by how moving the film was. It's a thinking person's uh, sci-fi film. And nowadays, it seems like sci-fi movies are often, you know, these big, giant blockbuster films. And I'm curious to know uh, what thinking... Person sci-fi films that made you question uh, some of life's biggest questions. Would you say were the biggest inspiration
1: for you? Not even particularly on this, but just maybe in general. Totally, I love that. I love um movies that sort of subvert expectations or subvert the genre a little bit, and you know, become a human story. Some great, uh, you know, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Like I remember seeing that and just being just falling in love with it and 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 uh you know charlie kaufman's writing and stuff like how he does that i think recently um uh, her by spike jones was phenomenal i thought how that was that was just a great story that centered around um you know kind of more to me about like sort of loneliness and and you know it centered around that breakup and, and and what happens to you after that um and, but it still had the tech bit at the heart of it. So I, I love those kind of movies and thank you for, yeah, seeing that as, uh, seeing Swan Song as, as that. hmm totally. Uh, you know, you mentioned the tech bit and I'm curious
3: to ask about your collaboration with Annie uh, Buchamp, uh the production designer on this film, because I, I was really taken in by the grounded minimalist design work that you did with her on this uh, to not make, like, it's clearly set in the future, but not so much that it's, Distracting from the human story at the center of it all.
1: Totally, yeah, I love that. That's that's exactly it, you know. And Annie was just a phenomenal collaborator from the start. Um, I love, I've loved her work. I was so lucky to get to work with her on it and the big thing for me from the very start from our first conversation was to say yeah this has a you know a sci-fi premise it has a tech premise but really this is a very human story it's a story that's dealing with loss and grief but the beauty of life there's a love story in it and it's not about the tech but our job really was a subtle one in many ways we needed to do enough world building so that the audience could you know believably get into this world believe in the technology that's at the heart of the story but for it never to take over from that human story. So, every aesthetic choice that we made, you know, that was the lens through which we, you know, deciphered whether or not it was the right decision. I think also, you know, part of it is um, making the world relatable too, because it's not about the tech. I wanted the world to feel like today, but just a couple of clicks on, you know, that the tech is things like getting an Uber that we sort of have become used to. Having it, that being a self-driving car, so it's one click on the Zoom calls are AR, but we know what a Zoom is. You know, things like that that felt very relatable and allowed us to explore the kind of human interactions and stuff at the uh, at the heart of this uh, movie.
3: Yeah, totally. And I was curious to know this being such a personal decision that the lead ca- uh, lead character Cameron uh, has to make. You know, I can't help but also think about hearing you talk about technology and talking about um, today you know, breakthroughs in science, we had a COVID vaccine that, you know, for example, went out for people and people are still questioning the science still questioning uh, what they're going to ultimately do. Uh, Obviously, it was coincidental, because you've been working on this for a while. But I'm curious to know, if such a technology should ever one day, who knows how long from now come about? Do you feel that we will still always have that skepticism as human beings?
1: Yeah, and that's a big part of the central question of the film and Cameron's dilemma, right? This mm-hmm. is a burgeoning technology. It's not a technology that's ubiquitous or has been around. There's a line in the movie, you know, where Glenn says, you know, you're our um, you're our third patient. So this is a new technology yeah. and clearly there's skepticism over it. And that's, that is a big part of the tension in the movie and a big part of Cameron's central sort of dilemma. I think that, you know... In all the research I did for this movie, uh, it was kind of amazing because people would... I would say, like, is this tech possible? All the the elements as I was researching it. Mm -hmm. And everybody said it's a question of when, not if, which was scary in some ways. I mean, it could be 10 years, it could be 100 years, but it's more like this is is coming. So I think if the movie can ignite some of those questions, um, I think that'd be great. The questions I'd love it to ignite in in many ways more though is about the human side of the 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 story right you know he's facing this really tough moral dilemma about whether he can you know um make the sacrifice for his family or whether it's the right thing to do from a moral standpoint and all that so um hopefully that is the thing that that people speak about too uh, after the movie
0: yeah yeah it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win
3: Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Mahershala Ali, shockingly, uh, I, I kind of can't believe it. This is his first uh, leading role in a film. And I'm curious to know, since this is the first after all, uh, what qualities did you see in him that made you say he is absolutely the right person to play Cameron in this? I mean, I
1: knew it was it was such a challenging role to play the two roles, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And it was going to require a level of nuance and subtlety and craft that very few actors could pull off. And to, you know, to have gotten Mahershala to even read the script and then finding out he loved it and wanted to meet and having that first incredible conversation with him where minute by minute I was just inspired and energized and knew I was sitting across from someone incredibly special and just a really wonderful soul too. And we I just I feel so lucky. and, 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 you know, the best thing that a writer director can experience is writing a script and then having an actor take those words and take. That character and turn it into something that far surpasses what you could ever have imagined. And on a daily basis, rehearsal was doing that. And and I have to say as well, um, Naomi Harris who plays Poppy, you know, Cameron and Poppy Mm -hmm. that relationship, the chemistry that they had on screen, what they did. I mean, it's it it just it blew me away. And I remember um, every day, um, so many days, sort of watching and sort of having to. You know, wipe the tears from my eyes from behind the monitor and then looking around at the end of the take and seeing a whole room full of people just sort of sort of weeping. It was something kind of pretty special was was going on with, between them. And uh, I just feel incredibly lucky, especially for my first film to have gotten to work with the caliber of actors uh, that I did.
3: Yeah, no, it, it's very moving story, and you know you have Glenn Close, Aquafina, uh, Mahershala, Naomi, as you mentioned before. I mean, you, you're right. Uh, for a first feature, I would be pinching myself if I, if I was in your situation. So, congratulations on that for sure. I also want to ask a bit about working with uh, Masanobu Takayanaki, uh the cinematographer on this film. I I've, I love the way that his images are contrasted with heavy shadow and how sharp and really well composed they are. And I wanted to just, you know, get an idea of working on working on your first feature.
1: Uh, what was the collaboration like working with him? It was wonderful. Massa's just phenomenal. I'd, I'd loved his work uh, for years. Um, I felt like aesthetically we were very aligned before I met him and then we met him and he was immediately, what was really refreshing was he was immediately all about the script. Mm-hmm. We were going through the script, we were getting right into the story of it, right into the emotion of it, talking about the intention of things. It wasn't like, oh, let's look at these other movies and see X, Y, Z about them. It was all about creating our own thing. And I really respect that about him. You know, I'd boarded pretty much all the movie before we met. And oh, for wow. a first time filmmaker to to be working with a master like Massa and for him to, to have the generosity and the the sort of, um, the the I don't know, just to, the way he sort of collaborated with me and made everything better and just, you know, worked with me on that and, and supported the vision and brought, as you say, just his wonderful sort of artistry to it was phenomenal. And the thing I'd say about it that I'm so proud of, and I think he should be so proud of too, mm-hmm. he operated... You know all all the the handheld in the movie and the film has two you know very different visual uh styles right for the present day i wanted us to be really sort of considered a little bit slower push in symmetrical framing a little bit more locked off in cameron's present day world when we go into the memories i really wanted to feel much more free-flowing i wanted to be right there with the characters feel more subjective immersive and it really took someone um, very skilled, uh, like Massa, to be able to pull off those two sort of um, different styles. So I, I think what he did was was uh, was really f- phenomenal.
3: Yeah, no, Mass and the Master. master. We'll, we'll we'll leave it at that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things we love to ask here, the Next Best Picture podcast, is what is next? And seeing as how it was a couple of years between um, Stutterer and now Swan Song, I'm curious to know, if you can tell us, maybe uh, if you could tell us what kind of stories you're interested in uh, telling in the future, because uh, we would love to hear uh, what you have planned.
1: Totally. I'm working on a feature at the moment and a series. Um, they're both... Uh, I can't say anything about them really, but what I would say is that I again I've I've I always go into that personal well. I the scars that we carry with us through life, that feels to me, um, I'm not saying that's the way everyone has to do it, but for me, they're the stories that I can I feel like I can bring a bit of truth to. And I think if you can if you can do that, even though you're telling it metaphorically and it's not autobiographical the people who then end up reading the script and um, hopefully feel that there's a, a bit of truth in there and then bring their own uh, you know, uh, connection to it. So the, the, the stories that I'm developing are continuing in that vein of just being really from personal experience because it's all I feel like I can really write and, and stand behind in a sense. Yeah, right from the heart, write what you
3: know, right? Right, so, totally. There you totally. go. Uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I know you're very busy and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what's in the future for you. And congratulations once again on Swan Song, which is going to be available on Apple TV Plus and released in theaters December 17th, 2021. Thank you so much.
1: Great questions. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you very much. You have a nice day. Thanks a lot.
2: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with the writer and director for Swan Song, Benjamin Cleary, here on the next Best Picture podcast. Swansong is currently playing in limited release and streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. You have been listening to The Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us.